You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Now, it has been a long-standing moral debate when the proper time is to decorate for Christmas, (laughs) when to put up your tree. For those that decorate in the first and second week of December, they look at those that get the tree right after Thanksgiving, thinking, can't you be a little patient? Uh, This is clearly being conformed and driven by the culture. And then for those that lean toward the church calendar and decorate Christmas Eve, they look at those that decorate in the first, second week of December and think to themselves, Well, one day they'll spiritually mature. (laughs) One day they'll grow to a place where they see things as they ought. And then there's those that keep their decorations up all year round. They're not even worthy of judgment, right? We don't even think about them. Well, just in case you want to know, science has weighed in. And the data reports that those that decorate earlier, whenever that is for you, are happier. Those that decorate early are happier. Why? Well, it counters the stress. It counters the blue Christmas, right? It counters that feeling of being in a low place. But that tendency we have isn't just limited to one time a year, right? We all have these strategies to get out of that low place. Um, It might be the habit of trying to uh, start the weekend early. I read an article recently that uh, was uh, thinking about why is it we go out Thursday nights? And uh, a couple of the different things that were mentioned, well, the work week sort of peaks on Thursdays, so you want to let go stress. Another is my friends might be more available. Another is why should I waste precious weekend time with a hangover when I can spend it at work and use that time? That may not be you. For others of us, the way we get out of the low place is just a steady stream from Amazon Prime. You know, just every couple days getting a little package. It doesn't matter what it is, right? Just going, it's like Christmas every day, getting that package. Or maybe it's binge watching a show on a work night. You know, all these things we do to try to just get out of that low place, but, but they're like a tree that loses its needles, right? Just doesn't, just doesn't last. Well, God loves us, and so he's given us another way. The good tidings of the Christian gospel tell us about a substantial joy that comes to us in a low place. And we see that in the account of Elizabeth and Mary. I love this passage. I love it because it's one of the great snapshots of our godly women of faith. Um, I love it because it shows the way God turns ordinary things into extraordinary things. It's just a visit. Just a visit. But lastly, the way that God stoops down to meet you and I in a low place with joy. Now, Advent is a time that we acknowledge shame, uh, unashamedly, we ache. We long, and that it's normal. It's normal. 
We don't have to do it alone. And we don't have to do it without hope. And so let's look at this passage, particularly uh, where the joy finds us and what's the cause of it, okay? Now, I want to begin by asking you, uh, what is an area in your life right now where you feel laid low? Where you feel it's a problem you can't fix. It's something you've been praying about for a long time, and it doesn't get any better. Maybe it, it's an unmet desire. And I don't know what your tendency is, but mine is to think, you know, if I were just more spiritual, like somebody in the Bible, if I were just more righteous, then I wouldn't feel this way. I'd be happier. It would be easier. Well, this is where Elizabeth's such a help. What do we learn about Elizabeth? Elizabeth is a daughter of Aaron. Now, you know Aaron was Moses' brother. He was the first high priest. He was the right-hand man of God. And she was a direct descendant of him. More so, she was married to a guy who was a direct descendant. She was married to a priest. That's almost as holy as being married to a pastor, isn't it? <laughs> oh, wives, if you're married to a pastor, please don't speak right now. <laughs> Yet she didn't coast on her family reputation. She didn't coast on her family reputation. We're told that Elizabeth and Zechariah were dedicated in faith and life, we read. And they, Elizabeth and Zechariah, were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Now, don't let that word blameless throw you off, where you think, well, I guess they were perfect. No, they weren't perfect. What we're being told here is their childlessness was not because of sin. On the contrary, they were dedicated. They ran hard after God. And the author Luke wants us to know that for sure with Elizabeth in the way that he highlights her righteousness even above the priest, Zechariah. If we had time to read the rest of the account, we'd see that Zechariah is made tempor temporarily mute where he can't speak because he, does. he declares blessing God, while Elizabeth is given the lips of a prophetess. And she declares blessing. And whereas Zechariah gets to declare the name John, he only does so before he looks over at Elizabeth and she says, this will be his name. And so Elizabeth is in a low place, but it's not because of sin. She follows a long line of saints, Hannah, David, Jeremiah, the Apostle Paul, and of course, the Lord of the low place, Jesus Christ. The one who was born in a cattle cave had a chance to visit what they think is the right place. And, you know, it's not a warm manger. It's actually underground. It's dark, and you've got a lot of animals in there. It was a low place. And he was someone that lived low, slept low, low to the ground without a pillow. He felt low, and he was looked upon as low. He was looked upon by a society as cursed by God. And though he was innocent, we know he was made cursed for the accursed, us. The Lord of living low. And in light of this, Elizabeth has to live a life of faith in a low place. What's the area of faith? We're told, although she was righteous and blameless, she had no child. 
because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. And that's the same language that's used of Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, which probably means she was 60 or 70 or 80 years old. What hope could she have? And in that time and culture, it was often seen as the woman's fault for why she wasn't having a child. You know, the, the Bible records that there are a few disappointments more bitter, more pains that ache more than a woman who can't have a child, except those that have lost a child. And Elizabeth refers to the reproach that she felt when God enables her to be pregnant with John. She says, the Lord has taken away my reproach or my disgrace among people. And it wasn't before God, it was among people that she experienced that. And maybe that's a familiar tune for you. You have borne disgrace because of your ethnicity or race. You have borne disgrace because of the way Washington, D.C.'s pecking order places you. You have borne disgrace, maybe like the Apostle Paul, because you have a weakness you can't hide publicly. All these forms of unjust reproach and disgrace that we bear. I was thinking about a song lyric. My wife Meg and I had a chance to see a concert about a month ago. It was called The Lantern Tour uh, for immigrants and refugees, and there was many artists there. But one of them, Patty Griffin, has written a song that always sticks in my mind. The title of it is called Useless Desires. She said, every day I take a bitter pill, it gets me on my way for the little aches and pains, the ones I have from day to day, to help me think a little less about the things I miss, to help me not to wonder how I ended up like this. And even I'm getting tired of useless desires. Maybe that's your low place. But this is the very low place in which the Lord meets Elizabeth with joy. The very place that he finds Elizabeth. It reminds me of another lyric where the wilderness is represented as the low place. And the writer says, in the wilderness we're wondering for a way to understand. In the wilderness there's not a way for the way has become a man. And the man's become the exodus, the way to holy ground. And wandering in the wilderness is the best way to be found. My friends, it's our survival instinct to want to get out of a low place. We'll do anything we can to get out of a low place. But I want to say to you, being in a low place is the best place to be for the Lord to find you with joy. That's where the Lord finds people, with joy, in a low place. And that's where he's found Elizabeth. So what's the cause of it? What does that consist of? Let's move on to the second point. I think the temptation is to read this story and say, here's the moral. God's going to bring you into a low place for a while. He's going to make you wait for a while. Then he's going to give you what you want, and then you're going to be happy. That's going to be the joy. That would be the wrong way to read this passage. No doubt Elizabeth was overjoyed because she was pregnant. But I want you to notice here in this passage, that is not the source of her joy. That is not the source of why the unborn child in her womb leaps. It's not why she shouts. It's not why she blesses. You know, 
There's a kind of joy in our life you have to learn to practice. Maybe it's getting up and going to a job you don't like. Maybe it's going to a social gathering where you feel nervous. Maybe it's waking up every day with illness. Maybe it's coming to church. But then there's another sort of joy. It's effortless. Uh, It's a joy that is involuntary. You know, whenever we ask our kids to come up front, and I love, I always, anytime I come here, I wish I was a little kid so I could get blessed by Pastor Russ. Uh, I love, I love your tradition of doing that. But whenever we invite the kids up front, there's always some kids that are shy, but there's always that one kid that can't wait to get up there. You know, he just got to touch somebody. He's got to touch them. He saw his friend from away, and he just got to run up. It's effortless joy. It's involuntary joy. Or maybe as an adult, you know, it's when your team finally wins the series. I was uh, texting with my daughter when she was at the final game. She was down near the park uh, for the Nats, you know, final game. She said, Dad, Dad, come on, come down and join me. I was like, no, honey, I'm not going to do that. I'm a <laughs> younger man. I would have done that. I'm on my patio. I'm watching it. I'm streaming it. But we're texting back and forth, and she's just giving me the play-by-play. Dad, this is unbelievable. There are people. Dad, someone just poured a beer over my head. You know, <laughs> it was just involuntary joy, effortless joy. Right? It was going on. And I think at that point, if you don't have that about God, you feel guilty. And you think, well, I guess I'm out. I know where he's headed with this passage. I guess I'm out. I want you to hold on. Give me a few minutes to unpack something. I'm going to get back to that. But we find two causes here for the joy, what the joy consists of. The first is Elizabeth experiences the advent or the coming of the Lord. She says so. Why has it been granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? It's not just the fact that Mary had come to her, but rather the child she was carrying. That's clearly the emphasis here, that Christ the Messiah, the Savior, had come. And Elizabeth had a little bit of an inkling, right, because of the prophecy about her own son and that he would make the way for another It's that Advent joy. And of course Elizabeth was joyful about her pregnancy, but that's not why she erupts with joy. The Lord comes near to her, and she she experiences this, this ecstatic joy. His presence is near in such a way. I I was having a conversation this week with a godly woman who's a recent widow. In fact, this Sunday will be the 40th anniversary she would have been married. And as we talked, and she's just, you know, letting go of the authentic tears, at the same time she's saying, but the Lord has been so near to me. He's never left me, Glenn. I thought of Paul's words of sorrowful but rejoicing, right? This curious thing that God can do. But for us to know that joy, you have to experience him as he is and not as you think he is. That's part of our problem. You know, one of the things that happens when you come into faith when you start a relation with God, is he, he starts this lifelong work of correcting your lens, how you see things. A couple months ago, I had a chance to go to a gathering with some pastors, and one of the uh, city fathers, one of the pastors, uh, Steve King, who's pastor of Cherrydale Baptist Church, was speaking to us. He's just recently retired. And he had the the most simple illustration, but I I thought it. In fact, you know, I came away from his talk and I made myself a little graphic. 
you know, and so I'd put it on my desk to remember. But he had two hands, and he said, there's really only two ways to see your life. Uh, one hand is the promises of God. The other is the circumstances of life. Now, you can look at the circumstances of your life through the promises of God, or you're going to judge the promises of God through your circumstances. And so what this angel does for Elizabeth, he comes and he sticks that big hand of God right in front of her face at the time when she is without child and says, I want you to view this through the promises of God because I want your joy not just to be because you're going to have a baby. I want you to see further than that. I want your joy to be beyond that. Listen, it wouldn't be anything for God to give you your Christmas list. It wouldn't be anything for God to give you your bucket list, the thing that you want to have. But it will not result in exceeding joy. You won't know the joy that she experiences here. I was reading an article in the Atlantic magazine, and they were, uh, the title was, Why Aren't Rich People Happy? And they had uh, polled 2,000 people that were considered rich, had a net income of at least a million or more. And they said, how much more would it take for you to be happy? And they said, just two to three times more. Right? It doesn't end. And I thought the insight of the article was this. Uh, They said, why do we tend towards stuff like that? It's because the stuff in life that matters, like my relationships, or how am I, you know, growing as a parent, or all those things, you can't measure that. So we just go to things you can measure. My income, my house, my car. But it leaves us with no joy. And so the angel says to Elizabeth and Zechariah, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at the son's birth. But why? Because he will be great before not the world or Washington, D.C., the Lord. He will be great before the Lord, and he will turn many people to fame for himself. No, he will turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will go before him in the spirit and the power of the flesh. No. Of Elijah. He doesn't say, listen, I got good news for your children. He's going to be healthy and beautiful. He's going to get into Washington Latin. We were, only, we were only 239 on the wait list. We never got in. He's going to be the most popular prophet. No, the angel contextualizes for Elizabeth what joy would be. Listen, what you and I need most is to experience the Lord as he is, this promising, gracious God. And when we do, there'll be a new sort of joy. But let me move to this second point before I close out. There's another cause for joy, another thing that the joy consists of. We hear it when Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The other cause of Elizabeth's great joy is because Mary believed. Mary trusted in the promise. There is nothing that ought to bring you and I more joy than when a brother and sister are believing God in in a low place. There is nothing that ought to bring us more joy. Not the fact they got the promotion, not the fact that they got public fame, not the fact they got the engagement ring, not the fact that they got the baby and got pregnant. All those things, yeah, small J joy, but nothing ought to bring us more joy than when I look at a brother and sister and they are heroically clinging to the promise of God in a low, hard place. In the world, 
The mantra is, well, I just want you to be happy. The mantra is, whatever makes you happy, I hope I get your bucket list. And truth is, I, I hear Christians say that. We need to repent of that heresy. The focus of our joy cannot be that. Well, I just, I just want them to be happy. You know, this is what is preached to us from America. This is the law of America. In fact, happiness has become justice. But there's more than this. It's the spirit of Jesus. And we, you know, the book of Hebrews tells us, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And Isaiah proclaims, out of the anguish of his soul, the Messiah, he will see and be justified. Oh, for the Advent Spirit of the Lord to descend upon you and I, to come upon the people of God, that we might joy his presence and we might fuel one another's faith. Because what happens after Mary experiences Elizabeth's faith? Well, it's the, the, the most famous song in Scripture, the Magnificat, which you heard. So, back to this question. You know, we've got this high joy. And maybe you're here going, all right, I'm still not with you. Listen, I, I, you know, I, I, maybe you don't have a naturally sunny disposition. You're not a number seven on the Enneagram. How was it that Elizabeth was joyful? Well, the text told us, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit... It is given to everybody that embraces Christ. Everybody, just not the daughters of prophets. My friends, ask for the Holy Spirit. Can you do that? You can. You don't have to work up joy. You don't have to mount up things. Jesus tells us that. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit? To any that ask. And then Jesus goes on to unpack what the Holy Spirit will do for those of us that abide in him. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You hear what he's saying? You ask for the Holy Spirit, God will give you the Holy Spirit. And then as you remain in him, the Holy Spirit will preach the love and joy of God over and over. And it's not your joy, it's the joy of the Son. The joy of Jesus. You get the promises, you get Jesus' joy. You get the Messiah's joy. And that joy will result in a surprising turn. A real cultural reversal. How do I know? Because you see it in John's life when he grows up. The friend of the bridegroom rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine, this is John speaking, is now complete. He, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. Did you catch what happened there? Instead of the joy leading him out of the low place, it took him back into it voluntarily. The joy of Christ then lifts us up and it leads us to say, Lord, let me share in your sufferings. Bring me into this place where I'm a servant and I learn what it means to live low with joy. So my dear brothers and sisters, I pray for you for this Advent. The benediction of the Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.
Please pray with me. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.